0: So joining Alex and myself today is Joe Thompson, the Principal Analyst at LHS Arden and Great East Midlands Commissioning Support Group. Uh, Joe is an experienced analyst who is very passionate about making a difference working in the NHS, but most importantly engaging with clinicians and the wider workforce to sort of up the game on data literacy. So welcome Joe, we're really delighted, myself and Alex, to have you join AMX Speaker Podcast. Hi
1: guys, it's lovely to be here, thank you for having me.
0: And Joe, on with the, the first and most important question we, we have for all our amazing guests is, uh, you know, Kivika's all about having a coffee and a cake with friends. Uh, what are you, a tea or coffee drinker, and what's your favourite cake?
1: Well, I don't like to limit myself to one, one or the other, really. Um, as long as someone else has made it for me, I'm quite happy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <I don't laughs> take anything. Brilliant advice.
1: <laughs> and, um, yeah, and when it comes to cake, I'm rather partial to a to a Bakewell tart. Yeah, yeah. choice, yeah. Yeah, That's what about crazy. you
0: guys? What about you? So uh, me at the moment, I'm um, at some decaf tea. I've gone decaf, which is a bit of a yeah. shocker to the system. I would advise anybody who's been drinking sort of 10, 20 espressos a day to suddenly go cold turkey into coffee... <laughs> Uh, decaf, don't do it because uh, you feel like you've got flu for about a week
2: afterwards. Yeah, and then cake-wise, uh, yeah, anything that anybody brings me, I'll probably gladly eat it. Yeah. But... <laughs> Alex? Um, I'm I'm. a black coffee drinker, so black coffee will always do for me. Um, mm. Do you know what? Um, Before I was like kind of like recording another series of this, and then I was just uh, thinking, it's like, if I see somebody, will they suddenly give you all of these things that you mentioned? So I'm going to mention about donuts, cookies, and <laughs> no, <laughs> and everything else. But no, um, I'm um, Affiliations. um earlier, yeah absolutely earlier i mentioned i, I really like a fruitcake with a piece of cheese and everybody were like whoa you know like what does that mean what does that look like but um just to share i had a coffee and or oh, i'm just having a coffee now and then also a crispy cream donut excellent Brilliant.
0: excellent oh thanks god sure <laughs> And Joe, you know, we always well, say we're really fascinated to hear about kind of your career journey today, because everybody's career journey where they got to is, is slightly different. It's a really good story to tell there. Would you able like to share with us and our listeners, uh, you know, your journey today and any sort of key advices and things you picked up along the way? Really, really interested to hear.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I think the number one thing with my career is nothing's happened on purpose. It's always been accidental and non-planned, usually. So my career path probably isn't, it's not a direct route that I've taken to where I am. I never expected to be a data analyst within the NHS at any point in my life. But now I'm here. I know this is where I belong. I know this is where I want to be. And. I love it. I, I can't ever imagine doing anything else now I'm here. But the route was uh, quite convoluted. So I started off wanting to be a music producer. So I uh, I was well ready with my uni applications to apply to be a music producer. And um, my house burnt down, unfortunately. <laughs> And that was quite a distraction. So that didn't happen. Um, And what I ended up doing was going to work at Parcel Force um, as a customer service agent. Um, And then from there, I went on to sales for Parcel Force, became a deputy manager and literally within a week of being appointed as deputy manager our actual manager had a very serious accident and was out of action for about a year so at age 20 i found myself managing a team of 30 to 40 people with no experience and um no one to really help out so but it was good fun i didn't really realize at the time how big the task was that i was doing i just kind of got on with it and it's only when i look back and i think what and how on earth did that situation come about and how did I get through it? Um, but no, it was good. But that time, it gave me space because at Parcel Force, I, I was very aware that I wasn't contributing anything. I was just helping to move parcels and make someone very, very rich at the top of the chain. And it I wasn't fulfilled. So I knew at that point that I wanted to do health, but didn't know what. So I went to uni to study herbal medicine. Um, unfortunately that got put an end too because my stepfather became ill and um, so I left university to help my mum nurse him until he died went back to university again and then became pregnant after the first year so left to become a parent and so you know I kept trying but life just life just happens doesn't it um I have to say becoming a parent that's the it was was again that was accidental but that was the best thing that ever happened as well it really does change your perspective. Um, but after that, when my children were at school age, I knew that I wanted to work with the NHS. I knew that I wanted to get wanted to make a difference, but I didn't really have much experience in anything in particular. Um, and a job came up that was advertised. It was a band two part time role. And it was a patient experience advisor. And I was fortunate enough to get the role. So that involved going around hospitals in Lincolnshire. Um, and interviewing patients face to face about the care that they'd received and so I must have spoken to well over a thousand patients about their experience of receiving care and that was such a fantastic role it, it really did feel like a privilege to be able to talk to patients about what they'd experienced and to listen to their fears their worries it it wasn't just a, oh was it okay yeah that was great thanks bye out the door it was like a proper deep conversations with people and from that, we were we were really able to identify how they felt about the care, what we did right, what we did wrong. And what was really eye opening for me on that was, I think of all the thousands of people I spoke to, I can count on one hand, probably on two or three fingers of one hand, how many people actually mentioned the medical care they received. It was all about how we made people feel. and That's mm-hmm. what made the biggest difference to people, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was. Um, But what we were collecting, so obviously we were collecting lots of of data, quantitative and qualitative. I always struggle saying those words, but we weren't really doing anything with it other than adding it up and producing a score. So I kind of developed a system where we could categorise comments and log them. So... Well, I hadn't really done anything with spreadsheets, but I started using Excel and everything was categorised. So you could easily tell at this ward, these were the themes that were popping out. Um, and that also really helped the wards to engage because everyone was like, oh, friends and family tests We can't be bothered. We're busy enough. But when they were seeing, oh, actually, this person who's in this bed always experiences the same problem because we've got an issue with a draft in the window or there's something that's happening with this member of staff that isn't quite right we can address this it enabled people to see how they could make patients experiences better Um, whether that was how patients were interacted with or whether it was what the facilities were like and then it was you know pushing to make the right changes and um there were some really interesting challenges that came up, really learned how to use my influence with that one. <laughs> if you ever tried to get some hospital estates guys to do something, it's um it's quite a task. Um, but good fun. And also, I think that enabled me to make some really fantastic relationships in unusual places. So everyone in the hospital I knew from porters, estates, the consultants, everybody. And it was just so, it was just such a lovely, lovely role to have. Um, but yeah, so that kind of gave me a love of data really, because I've learned firsthand the power of it, what you can do, and how you can make people's lives better. Um, from there, what happened after that? But yeah, that role, although it was fantastic, there was never any um funding, it was always on a rolling term basis, and being a single parent, um I needed something permanent, so I then moved to a PAX team, picture archive and communications team, so IT support for X-ray. Um, that was, again, an eye-opener, so I had a more of an experience to the back end of data. I spent a lot of time in server rooms, spent a lot of time with IT equipment, supporting people with IT issues. Um, so that, again, was really good experience, and I didn't realise at the time that was giving me data experience, but it was. Um, and then from there, um, I was kind of forced into a situation where I had to quit that role due to personal circumstances. And I became an analytics assistant in Lincolnshire at, Link- at the Community Trust. And so I moved there on a band three, And then somehow I worked myself up there um, to become the team leader for the information team. Had some fantastic experience with RCHS, And now just last year, I've moved to CSU. So that's my long career path for it.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. No, thank you, Joe, for sharing. It's fascinating. It just shows the power of, you know, of, kind of all those different roles you have, You know, the importance mm-hmm. of the, the patient experience post, which you, know, you mentioned engaging with all those many patients, hearing about yeah. their experience, their feelings, the power of that. And then yeah. also you know, about the power of relationships within a trust, you know, Definitely. knowing everybody, getting things done, I can, I can I echo
2: with, with the importance of actually the key to build those relationships. So thank you yeah. so much for sharing that journey with us. And I mean, from my side, I mean, I, it, what an incredible journey that like you have just, you have gone through to actually, you know, like, and 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 then realize that you were surrounded by data and you can actually use data to actually, you know, exactly. like make decision or, 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 or even, you know, provided some, you know, insight for people to so have a look at, you know, like how you can mm-hmm. actually read data to provide you know like to improve the health and care of patients within the NHS yeah. as well um just jo, Joe jo, you mentioned or you you talked about you know like it's you know like in some areas that you have accidentally gone into it mm-hmm. did you receive any support like a mentor or you know like or did anybody help you with that um to yeah. look at you know like how do you get into data how do you make proficiency mm-hmm. and then how do you actually improve your data skill and yeah. then also looking at you know like from your or from your perspective what is a good mentor to you
1: mm-hmm. oh that's a good question Alex yeah I think um, I've had a, so many different managers and leaders and you know your manager you can be led by someone who's not your manager your leader does not have to be the person who has your line management and mm-hmm. I think that's the number one thing don't be afraid of going outside of your area to make relationships with people where you're both going to benefit um, that's really beneficial for everyone all around. It gives you a much broader understanding and much more opportunities. And um, when it comes to mentorship, I think the one that really um, stands out for me is the person who helped me to believe in myself. I think that was the key for me. That's what I needed, because being a single parent you're kind of aware that you have a stigmatism attached to you and I think as well with the way that my career path has worked out sometimes I felt like a bit of a fraud like oh you know I haven't been to university doing data I haven't been from a private company with a analytics background do I really deserve to be here and so the mentors that I need were the people that enabled me to believe in myself. And um, probably the person who did that most, he did it in a bit of a, in a way that probably wouldn't suit everybody. So he knew that getting me to agree to do things which were out of my comfort zone probably wasn't going to happen. So he used to construct these scenarios where I would just be dropped right in it. And I remember the first time that this happened um it was about urgent care data so first off he dropped me in it about urgent care data so it's like right you're going to do this off you go and that's a whole other story but there was this big old meeting at the local ccg never been in a situation like that it's a huge boardroom. everybody there talking about this new service we've developed are we going to fund it what are we going to do all of a sudden it was a really big deal much more than producing some nice analytics and data. It felt like a really heavy situation. We were going to go together and um, I got there and he's nowhere to be seen. And I'm on the phone, where are you? What's going on? He's like, oh, it's okay. I'll be there soon. (laughs) And he just didn't turn up. And uh, he had no intention of ever turning up because he knew that I'd represent us really well in that meeting. And he also knew that if he'd asked me to go on my own, I would have said no. But dropping me in that situation, that wouldn't suit everybody. But for me, I got a lot out of that. And um, I later learned he'd never, he'd never intended to go to the meetings and all along. So yeah, everyone has a unique style, I think, of what suits them and what doesn't. And finding that person who works for you is really good. That might be a bit of a weird example, because it kind of might sound a bit cruel. But for me, it worked. And (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, sometimes, sometimes you do need that push, and then you know, like, yeah. and and I mean, for a mentorship, and you know, like, or successful mentor, it's not just about giving you all the work to do and then walk away and then yeah. say, how did you deliver it? Because I mean, like, that's very much of the old school of teaching. It's like you know, the teacher give you homework to do, you go away, and then you just mm-hmm. like struggle, and then come back and say, the dog eat my dinner, you know, like, or, or the, <laughs> the dog eat my homework, and then I can't yeah. give it to you. So it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not so much as that. It's it's just how people inspire. You. What do you do, and what's that two ways process that work yeah. for you? And it is very much about openness, about you yeah. know what fits into your circumstances and environment as well to make you mm. progress, make you work, and make you think. And that's very important to us. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned you have got a new role in the, um, Lincolnshire Intelligence mm-hmm. Team, and yeah. you you also in the previous conversations, I you know like you wanted to make data engaging. What yeah. would you? What would be your top three tips for our listener?
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah, data definitely needs to be engaging because I think a lot of clinicians I've met certainly more towards the start of my career path with the NHS, data's really low on their agenda. You know, their day job is with patients, it's doing the actual do and data and being measured just gets in the way of that for a lot of people. So firstly, it's about showing them how it can benefit them, so showing the potential of change from using the data is really important. Um, I've met quite a few clinicians who don't really realise that their data affects how much funding they get for the service, and I think once they've got their heads around that, that really improved data quality in a lot of areas, I have to say. Um, But yeah, what were my top? I think discussing what that person needs and not just listening to the words that they've said what are they trying to prove you've you've got to dig deeper haven't you so really understand the question what are they trying to achieve are they just trying to measure kpis are they trying to impact change what is it so it's really about understanding and not being afraid to ask questions that might make you look a bit bit like a wally sometimes might make you look like you don't understand so don't be afraid to be vulnerable and expose yourself in that respect, because the more you can learn, the better, the more, the better it's going to be. Um, also, know who you're pitching to, don't overcomplicate it, don't oversimplify it, you've really got to be aware of that. Um, for me, network is a big thing. So I've always said that I'm not Good at what I do because I've got fantastic analytical skills. I'm good at what I do because I have a fantastic network around me where I can go, whatever happens, there's someone who I can go to for advice. So make your network as good as you can. Get feedback, be prepared to admit that you're wrong sometimes. Um, you know, and it doesn't that's not just within your organization, it's it's wider than that as well. Always go to people for ideas. Um, what else have we got? Um I find as well, relating the data to patients is really important. I think there's so many scenarios we've probably all been in, where you're in a meeting situation, your data is being spoken about, and not a single person will mention patients. It's all about finance. It's all about numbers. And I think relating it back to patients is always good. It keeps keeps people's minds in the right area, reminds everyone why we're here and what a privileged position we're in to be able to influence health and outcomes for patients. You know, so it's a real important thing. And just bringing things back to that um, is is good. I also like being daft. That really helps, I find, especially with clinicians who are a bit scared of data. So I'll find out things they like. So, for instance, we had a clinician whose favourite thing was the film Jaws. So I found some graphics that were based around sharks and I put those into his (laughs) reports and he loved them. It made the data... It, it made it relatable for him. It was less intimidating because it was fun. Um, things like working with the heart failure team as well. They love they love hearts, so don't be afraid to be daft. They've got hearts in their dashboards, and they love it because it's relatable to them. That was a bit harder with the Continence team, obviously, a bit contentious with, that, <laughs> with what they wanted to be included. Not everyone liked it, but... Um, yeah, it's, don't don't be afraid to have some personality in your data, because it, it, if you're authentic, um, people can relate to you, and if they relate to you, they will relate to the data that you're giving them. I think.
0: I love that. I love that piece about and the personality. I think it's so. So it's so important that it comes through. And, and Joe, as well, you know, talking about the big, the wider challenge we have about trying to improve data literacy across the NHS. Well, mm. you know, how, how did you get buy-in, you know, from clinicians who we, we know are all busy and, I mean, apart from putting some good icons on there and yeah. the sharks and getting them on board, you know, what can our listeners do to get buy-in the really busy individuals? How did, you, how did you go about doing that?
1: Um, I, well, when I think back to my first breakthrough in that field was with urgent care, I remember the first meeting I went to with the team, I was completely viewed with an eye of suspicion. Why is this person from the corporate world with us? You know, what's going on? They're here to catch us out. Um, and it was, it there was this kind of atmosphere where it felt as though the corporate person had been sent along to monitor them and hit them with a stick. And I think it was working through that. And once they'd realised that I was there for the same reasons as them about good patient care and to help them deliver the best patient care possible, that was when things all changed. So it was about the representation. It was about not being afraid to talk to people, always going to their team meetings, understanding the pressures that they're under, being compassionate towards them, always looking at both sides. So you've got this metric you're not doing so well on. Why? Why? What's happening? And instead of just being, um, you know, what, you know what's your reasons? Looking at it with them. Get involved in the data with them. Look at the positives as well as the negatives. Because, you know, you can always... Every team has got strengths and you've got to be able to play to them and you've got to be able to identify them to see how you can use those to affect the weaker areas. And um, I think, yeah, it was just a really good experience with urgent care. And in the end, um, I felt like such an integral part of their team and completely accepted. I probably felt more part of urgent care than I did with my data team, if I'm quite honest, um, because of the way the relationships went. But um, yeah, just, just be honest, be a compassionate person, I think. And be aware of how what the messages you've got could land and think how you could mitigate those so that it comes across in a kind and supportive way. Um,
2: that's absolutely fantastic joe thanks for sharing that um a lot of our listeners always ask you know like um so what are you currently working on there is so Mm -hmm. much going on in the data and analytics space at the moment so what are you concentrating on right now
1: yeah oh it's very different i think moving from a provider atmosphere to um A CSU, it's very, very different, Um, but there are some things that I've carried over with me. So while I was with the provider, I was um, working on the National Competency Framework, which was really exciting. So it was a real privilege for me and my team to be part of the beta testing for that. And then now I've moved over to here. We've just been working with the working group um, about the behaviour section, which we've completed. So that's been really good. And I think that's going to be such an important thing for our industry moving forwards, that competency framework. Um, there are other things as well. So it's um, MSK, it's an area I've not really worked on before, but somehow I've landed with it over here at the CSU. Um, so that's a whole new world for me to get into. So we're looking at pathways for MSK how we how can we speed things up how can we keep more patients within our area and not send them out of county for their operations um, that's been really interesting to look at virtual wards is another one um, virtual wards obviously monitoring the patient care and how effective are they what's happening there and um, doing a lot of work on diagnostics as well obviously we've got Problems all around the country with wait times, haven't we? So we're doing a lot of monitoring and how can we improve in the implementation, of com- implementation rather, of community diagnostic hubs. Um, we've also got some exciting things going on locally. Um, our data sharing platform was not a data sharing as such; it's more like a platform where users can go to view reports. That's changing. So we've been involved in a lot of work there with about. Designing new reports and making them more bespoke and user friendly. There's so much you can get involved in. I kind of want to do everything, and I can't. But that's very frustrating.
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. And Joe, uh, just to sort, just saying, this week being uh, International Women's Day, we were yeah. an amazing uh, week to have, and uh, having you on here is, is even better. Um, when we spoke last time, you mentioned, uh, and just to think about from an International Women's Day perspective, when we last mm. spoke, you mentioned about some experience and prejudice that you've experienced. In your time and your career moving forward, you able to sort of kind of share it with us, kind of, you know, what's happened. But I think most importantly for people going through probably having similar Mm. experiences, that may sort of chime what you're going to talk about. How did you handle it? Do you have any advice for our listeners?
1: Yeah, Yeah. it can be really disheartening, and it can really set you back when you face behaviours which are misogynist in nature, whether that's prejudice against you because of your gender or if there is assumptions made about you because of your gender and your living situation or you know or if it's out and out you know harassment in some way um it, it's difficult to deal with and I think when that happens at the start of your NHS journey you don't necessarily know what to do and I wish I knew then all the things I knew now um so things that have been said to me through well a few times or one thing that's really sticks out is being told oh you'll never be more than a band whatever because you're a single parent and I think the first time I heard that I was really taken aback and I was really like oh my god is is that what people view about me first the fact that I'm a single parent and because of that They've made the assumption that they think I'm unreliable. They've made assumptions about my life because I'm a single parent and that I'm never going to amount to anything. And that's quite hurtful when you realise that. But at the same time, it kind of drives you to think, well, (laughs) I'll show them. And, you know, it's quite nice when you do progress through your career and you do think, well, actually, despite everything that you've said, look where I am now. And, um I know plenty of other women who have been told the same and sometimes by other women as well. It's not just men who Mm. carry these prejudices. And I think it's it's a difficult thing to talk about for a lot of people. But I think it's really important that it's out in the open because it does cause a lot of harm. It stops people from progressing because Mm. it takes away people's confidence. And that's something I've experienced. But I would say don't. Don't just listen to those voices and do nothing. Um, make sure you you can give the feedback direct to the person and say, do you know, yep. when you've said this to me, this is how it's felt, this is how it's landed. And then depending on that person's response, you can decide where to go next or if you want to do anything because you've got choices. You don't have to stick around and put up with it. You've got people like all trusts now have freedom to speak up guardians who will support you in things um, and they will take you take you seriously. Networks are really important. And so I've always been um, a network member in my trust, whether that's the women's network or an ally in the BAME networks. Yeah um so find people that you can share with who will give you good wisdom and advice people that you feel safe with to confide in um and if it's not working out for you if you're still not happy you 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 can move on you can you don't have to stay in an atmosphere which is toxic for you you can you can leave it you're entitled to do that and you can leave all that baggage behind um but don't don't make those voices mm. don't make
0: the few make, that you've heard the loudest in your head yeah no that's really sage advice no sorry to hear that and i think it's, it's really right i think we've got to kind of call that out you know and and, and sometimes you know don't find the old uh, it create the new you know and, yeah. and put the positivity forward but yeah it's sad to hear that but no great to hear that you had the resilience and the strength to sort of push through ahead and i think yeah all people i think you know call it out freedom to speak up guardians it's, it's such an important area
1: yeah, thank
0: you for being I, so candid and
1: sharing that, Joe. That's okay. I just want to say as well that I think one of the biggest supports in that was for me to get through that, was seeing, because you see women in these leadership roles, and especially like when I started at a Band 2, I used to look upwards and think, how does anyone ever get to be a Band 5? What do these people have to do with it? They felt like such a big deal. And then, you know, when I'm in a world and I'm seeing these fantastic female leaders at Band whatever, um and then finding out that their personal story, they're they're a single mum, or they've been raised by a single mum, or our directors have raised a single parent family. It's like, oh my gosh, it it really gives you faith that you can do it. Um, So I think it's really important for people to share their own stories as well, because it validates others. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing
0: that. And just just in summary there, Joe, you know, thanks for, for sharing your, your, your career journey and your story though so far. It's fantastic. I think what I really liked about was the piece where you said sort of kind of, you know, you have a vision and a passion of doing something for, for, the, for the NHS and something that's mm. value-based links to your values, but having that perseverance because life gets in the way and it happens. It does. It? Yeah, definitely. It, having those powerful you mentioned as well those powerful practical conversations with patients and I encourage everybody to, to do that. Mm. It's really, really important. And you mentioned about the relationships you have within your organization of getting things done. And then yeah. what I liked about the piece around the mentoring about you know being able to believe in yourself by finding someone that can work out the best for you and, and stretch you. And yeah. whether it's dropping you in or giving you challenges, <laughs> but you know finding that mentor is really, yeah. really good. And then I like the, the piece you mentioned around um you know that making data intelligence engaging you know showing you know the potential impact it will have on people and do that deep dive you mentioned about mm. what's really going on what do they really want to sort of see and, mm. and being your you bring your personality to your, your data and your insights i think is really, really a good powerful message but yeah and i know, thank you very much for sharing that and there's someone i was wondering you know outside of your busy role by the sounds of all the work you're doing how, how do you relax outside of work oh,
1: there's not a lot of time for relaxation at the time john because i <laughs> I'm working 1.6 full-time roles at the moment. So, yeah, um, when I'm not doing that, though, I like, I love my cats. I like spending time with my cats and my kids. I like doing crochet and I love playing my guitar. That's probably my big one, playing my guitar, definitely. But thank you for listening. I hope it's been okay.
0: That was fantastic. No, really great. And can people follow you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Do you have a Twitter handle or LinkedIn? Sure.
1: Um, I do, but there's not a lot of points. I don't have much time for posting anything. I'm not very media savvy at all. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm always available on NHS.net. That's where I'm mostly found.
2: I think a lot of us are feeling kind of very similar with a lot of work coming in and then you know like where's the time to do it but um, I mean again for myself thanks for sharing your experience as a single mom working in data and there is a lot of scope and there is a lot of opportunity at the moment and I think it's Mm -hmm. like what do I want to do or what do I want to do how do I want to focus some of the time in there and then it just uh, it's almost like a changing landscape you know like often you know like and again you know from your side it's a patient facing you know, like um, occupation, or you know, like or organization as well, and that yeah. gives you a lot of opportunities to do something kind of slightly more creative, talking to them in you know in different way mm-hmm. and personalising them to, which is you know like do is it, it, is giving that opportunity for you. So oh,
0: thank you and thanks for, for being so inspiring. It's really great to hear your story. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you very much. Bye. Bye. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today, and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.